Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Sage Sayers. I'm Debbie McCullough. I'm a communications coach and a narrative coach from New Zealand based in the fine state of Wisconsin. Every week, the Sage Sayers looks at gifts and opportunities from the trying situations that life hands to us and looking for the opportunities, the gifts, and the knowledge within. We also unpack communications, tips, and strategies, and we interview interesting individuals from all around the world. My guest this week is Dory Clark. She's one of the world's top 50 business thinkers, communication coaches, and she's a keynote speaker with clients including Google, Microsoft, and the World Bank. Dory teaches at LinkedIn Learning along with multiple top-tier universities, including the Fuquas School of Business at Duke University and HEC Paris. She's also a writer. She contributes regularly for the Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, Business Insider, and she's authored multiple books, including Entrepreneurial You, which Inc. Magazine dubbed as one of the most important business books of 2017. Today, Dory's here to tell us all about her new book coming out in September 2021. It's called The Long Game, and she's here to share with us her inspiration, a little about her path, and all the gifts, opportunities, and knowledge she's gathered along the way. Dory, welcome to the Sage Sayers. Hi, Debbie. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much, Dory. Before we get into your new book and some details about your rich and colorful career, I wondered if you could just start at the start. I read that you left home early as a young woman, as did I, and you had big aspirations. You wanted to gain a master's degree in theology, become a political reporter, presidential campaign spokesperson. What around you and the land in which you grew up sparked so much early ambition? And how might the geography and even the culture from which you emerged make it clear that you needed to leave to realize these dreams? I grew up in a very small town. It was called Pinehurst, North Carolina, which is a golf resort, basically, kind of a famous golf resort. And so many people go there who are golf aficionados, which is fantastic for them. I was not a golf aficionado. At the time, my mother always likes to tell me, oh, it's gotten so much better. And it is, in fact, much nicer <laughs> now. But there was really very little going on. There was not much culture aside from golf. And there wasn't the internet. There wasn't cable television. It felt very small. There was a big world out there. I wanted to dive into that. I knew that it would be hard to accomplish what I wanted to in, in this very, very little town. Yeah, I love that. I think that story and knowing relates to many. Feel so ambitious. But I wondered, um, which mentors, if any, in this early time inspired you the sense that you could move away and that you could get things done? I'm not sure if there was really specific mentors early on, per se, that inspired me to dream big dreams, per se, but I did well in school. And I always, I would say, when I think back to people who were especially helpful, it's often unsexy topics that get overlooked a lot in contemporary society that I think actually are really powerful and foundational. Latin, I had three years of Latin. We had this great Jesuit priest named Father Nicola that taught us Latin. It's not like he gave any sort of specific encouragement per se, other than you're doing a good job in Latin. But I think back on that and understanding that was your understanding of grammar, of language. We also really went into depth with something that's incredibly out of fashion, 
which is diagramming sentences and like grammar and sentence structure. Very few people actually really get instruction in that nowadays. And I did that in my English class with Mrs. Herlocker. That was great because all of that, I think, made me a much better writer. Yeah. And writing is such a core theme of who you've become today and clearly something you're bringing into all that you do. I wondered, within your book, you get into this concept of the North Star, our North Star. First of all, I actually recently had to do this activity and struggled to even define what Oh, what do Americans mean when they talk about this North Star? I wonder, what does North Star mean for you? Is it different, then, is it different in New Zealand? Is it like well, backwards because I, I, it's I, on the I other know. side of the world? It was one of those moments, Dory. I was like, have I been away too long? Did we actually say that? And I just don't remember anyone saying it. We may have something similar or identical, but I struggled to define what my North Star was. So my first question was, how do you define North Star? And then what is your North Star? And how much does writing have a part? In a literal sense, at least what I attempted to mean with the proviso that my knowledge of astronomy and geography is not the best in the world, but (laughs) my understanding of what a North Star is and does is that if you're like lost in the woods or whatever, your North Star is the thing that you can use to guide you so that even when everything on the ground is dark and confusing and you don't know which way is which, if you keep your eyes trained on the North Star, you can ensure that you continue to move in the right direction, which is kind of comforting because a lot of times in life, it does feel like we're in some kind of a dark thicket. And so having something that we know can be relied upon is quite valuable. So (laughs) that's what I was attempting to, uh, to strive for. But, you know, when it comes to understanding one's North Star, this in some ways ties in with conversations that people have about a slightly different but related topic about things like, you know, we'll find your passion and what's your passion. And of course, I think that's a little bit loaded because it puts so much pressure on people. And if they don't feel like they know the answer, they don't have an answer, you can begin to feel like a loser. I like, first of all, to make sure that we're holding things loosely, recognizing that things can change and it's okay. And it's okay if you don't have an answer to any of these things. In my book, The Long Game, I actually talk about a concept that I call optimize for interesting kind of my version or my antidote to the, you know, what is your passion, find your passion. I feel like a lower pressure way to head it in the right direction is to say, well, what's interesting? How can I at least optimize for that? Because even if we don't know what our passion is, we all at least know what we find interesting. With those lower stakes, we can begin to get there. So I think ultimately, if we're talking about North Star in a kind of fixed and definitive way, I would never want to kind of put that on people like, oh, you have to know, you have to figure this out and there's something wrong with you if you don't have it. I do think it is a worthwhile query. It is a worthwhile process. And if you can continue to ask those questions, if you can continue to optimize for interesting and keep following what's interesting to you, continue testing that out, eventually you can actually learn by doing. You know, people sort of vote with their feet. And you can see what you are doing. You can see what you're drawn to. And it can enable you to finally discover and really have a window into, all right, what is it that through my actions, I really am being guided by? And I think that's a helpful lens. I love that. Stops that hyperachiever saboteur kind of messing with us and just focusing on what's bringing us joy, what's sparking joy, what's sparking my interest. We've started to get into the backstory of this book. So what was its premise of The Long Game? 
And how did you know, as an avid writer and contributor to beautiful places, how did you know that this concept was more than just a Harvard Business Review article? It was actually a book. Oftentimes, it takes a while for book ideas to percolate. So, you know, for my previous books, I've done three, I wrote them all kind of in rapid fire succession because I was in a hurry. I had lots of ideas. I wanted to get them out there. And also, I was worried that the book industry was collapsing. So I figured I'd write a bunch of books before it did. (laughs) (laughs) But with with this one, I, I took some time because my previous books really kind of formed a trilogy in some ways, I like to think. There was Reinventing You, which is about reinventing yourself to get to the career or the job that you want. Then there's Stand Out, which is about how to become a recognized expert in that career or in that job once you're there. And then there's Entrepreneurial You, which is about how do you take that expertise and then monetize it? How do you turn it into a sustainable, thriving income? I really viewed that as kind of of a piece. I wondered what was going to be the next book, like what was going to be the next step for me. And the long game emerged as I was beginning to think about that and trying to answer those questions, because what I came to realize, especially you know in my own career, but especially during the course for the past five years of running this online course and community that I have called Recognized Expert, which is a bunch of you know really smart, interesting professionals who are looking to build their platform and get their ideas out there in a bigger way, I realized that oftentimes one of the biggest problems is understanding, first of all, being patient because things take longer than we want. But secondly, it's kind of understanding the process of getting to success, however we're defining success. There's a lot of pressure, both coming from the outside and also pressure that we put on ourselves to be successful. We all want that. It also really does often take much more time than we want. In so many cases, smart people giving up too soon because they look around and they think, well, it's not working. But in the moment, it's really hard to tell the difference between it's not working and it's not working yet. And so I wanted to really write a book parsing that distinction so that people understand the journey and understand where it makes sense to continue investing so that we don't give up on powerful ideas too soon. And we actually are able to persevere and get through to the other side so that our best ideas have a chance of being heard and making an impact. It's very, very rich, Dory. And I can't wait to read the book because as an entrepreneur and having so many friends who are in coaching and building our businesses from the ground up, this is really important lessons and having tools and strategies to help that knowing of when it's too soon to give up, I think it's going to be fantastic. As part of the book, I know There are several themes. One thing that came up from John's background, from your publicist background, is this idea of prioritizing and learn to say a gentle no to asks and tasks. And I know that's essential for my listeners who are largely entrepreneurs and rising leaders. I wondered how does saying no to opportunities tie into the long game? Learning to say no is critical in the sense that, of course, intuitively, it it makes sense that if you can't put any more water into a glass that's already full, right? Mm -hmm. And so we might have ambitions or goals or dreams for ourselves. But if literally there is not time, if literally you don't have any more bandwidth or any more energy to do it, you're not going to be able to accomplish it. And so we have to make sure that we have enough room in our schedules to accomplish what we think are priorities rather than what everybody else is trying to foist onto us. There's the famous saying that your email inbox is everyone else's to-do list for you. And I think that oftentimes that actually is true. There's really two levels. There's two tiers because it 
it's not an easy process. One level is, of course, at a basic level, learning to say no to things that you know that you should say no, right? Like it's hard because, you know, we want to be nice to people. We don't want to disappoint people. Okay, you can get through that. I know I should say no. Okay, you do it. The second level, and this is something that I really focus on intently, is that like the ninja level skills is learning to say no to good things. This is where we really get torn. It's a problem because at a certain point, as you get more successful, you of course get exposed to more and more opportunities. Many of them are going to be good. And so what we've been trained to do, what we want to do is anytime something looks like a good opportunity, well, of course you want to say yes, you want to jump on it. But the truth is we need to learn to say no to those so that we can actually go deep on our biggest priorities. So I talk a lot about what that looks like. It's not easy, but it's very valuable. And a few minutes remaining, I wondered, is there any, you know, what are your three best tips? I know from being a communications coach and teaching corporate communications for many years, saying no is a, is a delicate art, just as a communication challenge in itself. What are your best practices purely from a communication standpoint and saying no without offending and, but also honoring your values and what it is that you need to get done? I would say a few that have served me very well. One is making sure that you have a kind of counter offer that you can make. That's, that's always kind of a way to soften the blow. And so, for instance, what you often will get, especially as you get more successful, is that people want your time in some way. Mm-hmm. There's a few kind of culturally standard options. Oh, hi, Debbie. Can we have coffee? Can we have a phone call? You know, <laughs> oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, can I pick your brain? It's always the same thing, right? So funny. It's so true. Yes. And so what I like to suggest is, you know, of course, you could just say no. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, but it often feels a little bit nicer if there's something else that you can proffer to that person. And so depending how much effort you want to exert, there's categories, right? So one is if they are looking for what I'll call standard information that a lot of people want from you. It's not about a, yeah, actually to write it up in some way, like to write an article. You know, anybody can do this, like post it on Medium or whatever. Like if everybody asks you, oh my gosh, how do I break into coaching? Well, you could write an article, how to break into coaching. (laughs) And then you can send it to them. And then, you know, if you want to be nice even more, you could say, oh, well, you know, great, Debbie, why don't you read this article that I wrote? This answers most of the common questions. Hopefully this will answer your questions. But If you've read this and you have more specific follow-ups, you know, feel free to get in touch. I guarantee you 90% of people will not follow up because they, they kind of lose interest or whatever. It's actually the people who show the diligence and the perseverance that are worth your talking to. So finding a nice way to essentially, I say in air quotes, get rid of people is a fantastic weeding mechanism to show who actually is worth getting to know, who puts in the effort. So sending people an article is one pre-COVID, when I would go to things, I might say, oh, well, schedule's crazy for a one-on-one meeting, but I'm going to this event. Maybe it's like a networking event or something like that. Why don't you come with me? You know, ah, that way I you love it. be around them. A thing that I often do as well, either in person or virtually, is I'll periodically host a gathering or a virtual cocktails. And so if the person is interesting, you'd like to get to know them, but maybe you don't have time for one-on-one, you could invite them to that group gathering. Those are all plausible alternatives that are a way of preserving your time, but still being nice to the person. 
story. It's been such a pleasure. I have so many more questions to ask, but I know you've got another appointment and I'm honoring your time. You've got about two minutes to give us anything else you really want your prospective readers to know about the long game. What what are the core things you know they're going to get out of this book? Oh my goodness. Well, my goal for the long game really is to equip people who read it with a clear sense of how to use the tools of strategic thinking in their personal lives and in their careers. Everybody agrees that strategic thinking, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to running a business, this is what's most important. You know, the definition of a leader is they do strategy. And yet, most of us don't make time for it in our own lives. And if we did, it would make a big difference because there's a concept I talk about in my book. My friend Jonathan Brill likes to talk about, and he says, the big danger among smart people is that you can lose by winning. And what he means by that is that if we are pointed in the wrong direction, if we are optimizing for the wrong metrics, we can crush it. And in the end, we discover we've crushed it on the wrong things. And so I want to really create a space, enable people to carve out that mental energy. It's not, it's not about a lot of time. It's just about really creating the space for yourself to ask the right questions to ensure that we are optimizing for the right goals and the right metrics that matter, not to an average person, but to us specifically. Excellent. Dory Clark, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Do you want to direct my listeners to your book or any other directions for them? I can add whatever you want in the show notes as well. Yeah, I've just, you know, you can point people to my website, doryclark.com. It has more than 700 free articles available that people can Goodness. read. So. Fantastic. Well, Dory, thank you so much for coming. And you've been listening to The Sage Sayers. I'm your weekly show host, Debbie McCullough. If you're feeling curious about what it's like to work with a communications coach, one with a thick New Zealand accent like mine, you can check my show notes for my Calendly link and book me for a one-on-one complimentary session or check out those same show notes for my communications workshops. Thanks for listening and I will speak with you again soon. Bye-bye for now. Mm-hmm.